Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I'm made aware that I need to be right with God, but I need to be careful to be right with my brothers and sisters. It matters to God that I'm in good standing with the family of God, that we're doing right by one another, that we're not offending each other or taking advantage of each other or doing things that we know are hurtful or harmful to one another. Those things matter to the Lord. And so God wants us to have, uh, he wants us to deal with relational uncleanliness and making sure that these things are squared away. So he gives us the remedy. And what is that remedy? Like anytime you have a sickness or a disease, you want to find the cure to it as quick as possible. As Pastor Bill walks through this chapter, explaining what things meant in the past, you'll get a better idea of how these things apply to you today. You'll notice there's a cure for the contagious, infectious disease that can invade and take over your whole being. And like many diseases, what are you to do if it comes back again? Today, Pastor Bill helps you to know how to overcome it. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 5, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Well, let me give you the gist of Numbers 5. It's an interesting chapter. We're going to talk about some interesting things in the chapter. But I want to explain kind of, I'm tell you where it's going, and then we'll get into it, and you'll see where it's going. The children of Israel have been being prepared. So the beginning parts of Numbers, everybody was being counted, thus the name Numbers. Uh, They were numbering the Levites. Then they were numbering the Levites that were of age to serve. So they did two countings of the Levites. One, they numbered all of those from child on up, those that had the potential to serve as a Levite. They numbered all of the males. And so we had that number of people. We knew how many each tribe had. And then we numbered all the males of serving age, which they served as priests from 30 to 50. We talked about that. And so we looked at what that number was from each tribe that was represented. And what God is doing, he's preparing them. They're getting ready to go somewhere. Where's God taking the children of Israel? Where's he getting ready to, where, where's he getting ready to lead them off to? The promised land. That's the goal. We gotta get, we're going somewhere. And so these are kind of, they're being prepared, things that they need to do before they go. And so this chapter is interesting because before they go, this is their next set of instructions. God is having them to be purified. And the things that they're, you know, we're going to see for them was real specific things that they had to rid the camp of, things that couldn't be there. But there'll be application for you and I, for anybody here that's preparing to do something for the Lord. I believe God wants to use you. So anyway, they're being prepared for where God is going to take them. And in order for them to get where God is taking them, purity was necessary. God wanted to purify them. Uh, He wanted to rid them of things that were going to be a hindrance. And so Look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 with me. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. You shall put out both male and female. You shall put them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell. And so we talked about this earlier in Leviticus, chapter 15 or so, where there were people that had to be put outside because they had things that were communicable or contagious. Uh, They had things that, uh, whether they were a leper, everybody knows leprosy is contagious. You can catch it easily. They had to be put outside the camp so that everybody doesn't get infected with it. And as you look at these three things, a leper had to be put outside the camp. Someone with a discharge had to be put outside the camp. 
and someone that was defiled because they had touched a corpse. And in looking at those three things, here are what I believe the reasons why. Um, if you're a leper, obviously you're, you're highly contagious. And if anybody comes across you, touches you, whatever, they can catch it. It's spread. It'll kill the whole camp. And so God said they got to be put outside of the camp. Uh, they're considered ceremonial unclean. If you have a discharge, it's infectious. Uh, many times you had a discharge it was because you had a disease or some other thing. So someone with a discharge was considered unclean, had to be put outside the camp. Um, that whatever they had that was infectious wouldn't be caught or given to someone else. Then someone that was defiled because they had touched a corpse, uh, they had broken the law, they had touched something dead. And, and that day, um, you know, if you come across something dead and you touch it, um, we don't know how long it's been dead or what process it's in. But if you touch it and go back into the camp and slap five with your fellas and whatever you got, you, you could be giving that to someone else. And so uh, someone that had defiled themselves because they tested a corpse, they were they were to be put outside the camp. They weren't put outside forever, but it's kind of like, you know, what we saw not too long ago, we had a big Ebola scare and. Uh, it was all over the news. If you were coming, if you had been in a part of the country where it had been, you were being quarantined. Um, why? Because they didn't want you coming over here and spreading it to everybody else. You know, they wanted to let's 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 keep it over here and deal with it isolated. We don't want this thing to spread any further. It's that same sort of thing. If someone is really sick today with something contagious, they'll be in the ICU. And if you ever visited someone in the ICU, they're in a their own little capsulated room. Um, the door shuts, shuts, the air stays in. When you go in, they make you put on, like you look like a doctor when you go in, but you're just a visitor, you know? Um, it's to keep you from catching these things. That was the idea here. But God gives the reason in verse three. It says that they may not defile their camps in the midst of which I dwell. God says, I'm in the midst of the camp. And because these people are unclean, because the things that they've gotten involved in are unclean, that they might not come into my camp where I dwell and defile it because I'm there and I'm holy. God is holy. What's the relationship of this? How does this relate to New Testament Christians? It relates to us like this. Back then, God dwelt at the tabernacle. Uh, his presence was there in the Holy of Holies. Um, they, would, they would experience God's presence in that way. And God said, look, I dwell right here in the midst of the camp. Where does God dwell today for the believer? New Testament saint, where does God dwell? inside of you. He dwells in me and he dwells in you. And just like he told them, hey, don't bring those unclean things. They can't be here because I'm here and I'm holy. They got to go out. God would say to you and me as he comes to live inside you and me that I'm holy. And because I live here now, that's got to go. That's got to go. That can't remain. And that can't continue to be a way of life. And that can't be a habit that you continue. And that can't be an attitude that you keep. Why? Because I live here now and I'm holy. And those things defile. I don't want you to put them out. And so I gave some thought to this and I wanted to give us, I just want to give us application that would be meaningful to us here and now. And as I look at the things that defiled them then, I want to give you some analogy. I want to give you just some application for each one. First of all, leprosy, which we know is contagious. Um, you know, we know that it, it spreads through physical contact, you know, back and forth or whatever. Um, leprosy is in the Bible likened to sin. Um, it's likened unto sin and we have different ways where you look at, you know, you look at leprosy and it, it ultimately kills you. It's contagious. It's highly, you know, it's highly contagious. Um, it spreads. You look at those things, you, you can compare it right over to sin. Sin ultimately brings forth death. 
Sin also is contagious. Sin is also something that's shared between others. And the remedy for leprosy and the remedy for sin were both the same. Had to be a supernatural touch from God. Only God can forgive sins and only God can touch and heal a leper at this time. And so uh, we know the leprosy is it's like sin in that way. Uh, at least an example of it. Uh, the discharge, a little different. Discharge is something that was coming out of the body, representing that there was something inside them that was wrong, and the discharge was coming out. Reminds me of the New Testament where it talks about, it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but what? What comes out, right? It's not what goes in, but it's what comes out of a man that defiles a man. When someone has a filthy mouth, what is it representative? What, is it, what does it show us about what's happening on the inside? If you got a dirty mouth, you know what? It's because you got a dirty heart. The Bible says from the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So the things that come out of your mouth are really representative of what's in your heart. And so we can look at how we speak, things we say over the course of a day. Look at what just flows out. And God says, there you go. That's a, that's a picture of what's happening in your heart. So if it's always complaintive, tearing their others down, you know, whatever's there. God says, that's what your heart looks like. Maybe it's wonderful. Maybe it's edifying stuff and it's just uplifting and it's pointing people to Jesus and it's worship and glorifying. God says, that's what's happening in your heart. Wonderful. But what comes out of here is, is a great indication of what's happening in here. And because the heart is deceitful and wicked and who can know it, we want to take those hints. And so, again, leprosy would be synonymous to sin. Uh, the discharge would be like unto those things that come out of a man that defile a man, the things that come out of our mouth, the things that flow out of our hearts. And then the last one, those that touch a dead thing, uh, and, and then they become defiled because they touch something dead, reminds me of 1 Corinthians 15, where God reminds Christians, God reminds believers, be careful who you hang out with. 1 Corinthians 15, God says, don't be deceived. Evil company, bad company corrupts good character. Be careful that if, if, it's, if, if you belong to Jesus now and it's your desire to walk with him, be careful that you're not hanging out with dead people. Everybody in your life that's not born again, they're spiritually dead. I know they're living, they're breathing, they're laughing, they're talking, but in the spirit realm, they're dead. And if you're a Christian and you go around hanging on and touching and hanging out, you're not witnessing to them, you're not ministering to them, you're just hanging out with them, um, you're being defiled. That's exactly what will be happening. And so we want to be cautious. Uh, we live in a fallen world with fallen people. I'm not putting down the lost people around you. I'm just saying if you're not strong enough to be a witness to them, don't hang out and die with them. That's it. So if you can't hang out, if you're not at the place where you could be a witness, well, don't hang around and let death get all over you and you become defiled thereby because God lives in the believer. Amen. And so moving on. So those are the three things that God said, hey, if these things are happening, you got to be put outside the camp. Uh, I do want to point out that they weren't put out forever. Uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't, they weren't put out of the camp for eternity. They were put out of the camp until they were deemed cleansed. You were a leper and you got cleansed. You would go show yourself to the priest. There was a process you would go through. Once you were pronounced cleansed, you were welcome back into the camp. If you had a discharge, same thing. You, you have to go get ceremonial to cleanse, show that you no longer have the discharge. And then you'd be welcomed back into the camp. And same thing, if you touch a dead corpse, you had to go through a certain ceremonial cleansing and washing in a period of time, then you were welcomed back. So I do want to point out that it wasn't forever. It was for a period of time till you were ready to come back. And so that's true for some of us. Maybe you've messed up. Maybe you've blown it. Maybe there had been a season of your walk with God where you strayed and you got all messed up and you, you experienced the distance of not being right with God. Know that you can come back. 
Know that there's opportunity. Know that because of the blood of Jesus, the opportunity for you to be cleansed and come back is there. That you wouldn't just stay out there. That you wouldn't just say, oh, forget it. You know, I messed up. But that you would come on back. Come get right. Come get cleansed. Come get forgiven. Now, for you and I, the cleansing process is a lot easier. You don't have to go through a ceremonially washing and get cleansed and wash and show yourself to a priest. How does a believer get cleansed? Anybody know? First John 1. That's a Christian bar of soap. Um, you, you first John 1. I confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's first John 1. If you didn't know it, write it down. Have it in your notes. Next thing before we move on. So it's important as we look at all these things that we examine ourselves. God tells people to examine themselves in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Are you saved? Are you going to heaven when you die? Um, we should be concerned and take it. We're able to examine ourselves for these things. Um, it is a healthy thing to take a look at yourself, examine yourself. And now this is the next thing, right? As we come together as a body of believers, as Christians come together, we also want to take a look. We also want to examine ourselves because God says, just like I'm there living in you. God says, look, when two or three come together, what's he say? I'm right there in the midst of you. So what happens when people come together, but they're at odds? God's people, I'm saying. When believers come together, but there's beef. And God says, I'm right there in the midst to bring peace. Um, that verse is the context of that verse. A lot of people use it for prayer. When two or three come together, God's there in the midst. And it's, it's true, but... If you look at the context of that verse, it's in Matthew chapter 18. The context is believers that have ought with one another. And God says, look, when you guys come together, come together for the purpose of reconciliation. He says, I'll be there in the midst. I'm going to help because I'm in that. I'm in reconciliation. I'm in believers putting down issues and coming back together. God says, I'm in that. I'll be there in the midst of that. I'm not saying that when you get together with a group of friends and it's two or three, you gather that God's not there. He is. But I just want to say the context of that particular verse is people coming together to reconcile, to get things right, to resolve issues. And it's important to note in this chapter that God is wanting to make sure that before they move on to go to the promised land, issues get resolved. First, there are issues with him. If you touch a dead thing, if you got leprosy, if, you got, if you're defiled in some way, get right before, before we head on. Now he's going to move on and start dealing with our issues with one another, um, which happens a lot. Even among believers, people end up having issues with each other. So look at verses five through seven with me. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel. When a man or woman commits any sin that men commit an unfaithfulness against the Lord and that person is guilty, then he shall confess the sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass in the full plus one fifth or 20 percent of it. And give it to the one who he is wrong. And so in verses five to seven, God says, hey, when you wrong your brother or your sister, when you wrong somebody else in the, in the body of the congregation, God says, you got to get that right. Um, you want to make sure that those things are correct. And oh, I'm sorry, look back up with me. I think I, I skipped verse four. I did. It says, and the children of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord spoke to Moses. So the children of Israel did. The note on verse four is they were obedient. God said, do this. They did it. And I want to note that because in a lot of Israel's history, God's going to say do something and they're not going to do it. They're not going to be obedient. But when they do it, God blesses. And the same is true for you and me. When we do what God tells us to do, we will be blessed. We'll enjoy the benefit of obedience. And so now verses five through seven, God tells them, look, when you committed a sin against someone else, a sin, he said, and he said here, when a man or woman commits any sin that men commit, and he says in unfaithfulness against the Lord. But notice this. 
He says it's unfaithfulness against the Lord, but then he says when it's time to get it right, you're going to make restitution to somebody else. So this is what's happening. You've actually sinned against your brother. You've sinned against your sister. But God is saying, look, when you sin against somebody else, guess who you sinned against first? God, always. If I rob you, right? Now, I'm not, I wouldn't rob you, but if I did, right? If I stuck you up and I robbed you from your stuff, first, I sinned against God. Then I sinned against you. Now, from your perspective, it may not seem like that. If I rob you, you're going to feel like I robbed you. But God said, from my perspective, you sinned against me first. So here's a few examples of that, right? Um, David in Psalm 51, as he repented of his sin. Now, David's sin was pretty bad. David slept with a woman that was not his wife, Bathsheba, abused his authority. Then when he found out she was pregnant, he took her husband, Uriah, who was a faithful guy, uh, in his army and he sent him to the front line he murdered him so when I'm looking at David like, I'm like man you sinned against Bathsheba you sinned against her husband you sinned against your wives plural um, but you know what when he finally repents in Psalm 51 you know what he says against you and against you only have I done this great wickedness he's, he's saying God I sinned against you and primarily that's who he sinned against it's because he wasn't right with God that he was willing to do that to his brother it's because he wasn't right with God that he was willing to do that to that woman. And so this is what happens in our lives. When I'm not right with God, I'll do wrong things to you. When my relationship with the Lord is not right, then my relationship with people is going to express that. It's going to be seen. So God said, look, if you guys have sinned, but you sinned against me first. Another example, Joseph in Genesis. You guys remember Joseph was left in the house with Potiphar's wife. And it says that every day she went after him and she cast longing eyes on him. And she kept telling Joseph to lie with her. And he said, how can I do this great wickedness? And, you know, he recognized later on against the king, but he said, sin against God. And then he recognized that Potiphar left everything in his charge. He said, I won't do this against God or him. But he said it was against God that he didn't want to do that wicked thing. He didn't want to sin. And so the prodigal son, when he came home, he had went out. Now the prodigal son, he messed up. He disrespected his dad. He said, he said, dad, give me what I get when you die. Any of you guys that have kids, if you got some, you know, some kind of a, a plan in place, some life insurance policy, how would you feel if your son or daughter came up to you and said, mom, dad, how much do I get when you die? Can I just have it now? They're basically saying you're dead to me. Give me what I get when you die so I can go. He did that to his dad. And now most of us wouldn't have gave it to him, right? I said, oh, you want what I, you're dead to me then. So, you know, you, we wouldn't have gave it to him, but he got it. And he went out and he ruined, he wasted it. He had sinned against his dad, but when he came back and he, and he repented, he said, I sinned against heaven. The recognition that I'm in, I'm, I'm sinning against God first. So we should all be aware of that, right? And our, our lives of sin, or when we fail, first it's against the Lord. And then we do want to get right with people, right? I don't want to just go say, God, you know what? I am so sorry I did that to my brother. Whew, that was wrong. God, forgive me. Because some people do that. Some Christians get real, real cute. And they say, well, I, I repented of that. You ain't apologized. You haven't made it right with your brother. You haven't gone and said, I'm sorry to the people that you've offended. You need to do both. And so here God tells us something interesting. He said, you're not just going to make it right. If I robbed you of $100, God says, then when you, when you do repent and you confess it to me, he says, now I want you to go back to the brother you robbed of $100 and give him 20% on top. So when I come back and say, man, here's your 100 bucks and uh, an extra 20 bucks on top. Um, God said, that, that's how you're going to make it good um, for what you've done. You're going to give it back plus 20%. So what is God doing here? Why is he stopping them 
They've been counting people all up to this point. Why is, this, why is God going through these details with this group of people? He's saying, look, I want you guys to be right with me. And I want you guys to be right with one another. How are you guys going to go serve together? How are you guys going to go out and go to war together? How are you guys going to go out and do spiritual things together when you're all fragmented and you're doing wicked things to one another? And so we want to be mindful of that. As I read this chapter right here, you guys, I'm made aware that I need to be right with God, but I need to be careful to be right with my brothers and sisters. It matters to God that I'm in good standing with the family of God, that we're doing right by one another, that we're not offending each other or taking advantage of each other or doing things that we know are hurtful or harmful to one another. Those things matter to the Lord. And so God wants us to have, uh, he wants us to deal with relational uncleanliness and making sure that these things are squared away. So he gives us the remedy. In verses um, six through eight, here's the remedy for your sin. This is what you do. This is how you make it right. First, it says in verse six, when a man or woman commits sin, that men commit an unfaithfulness against the Lord and that person is guilty. First thing you got to do is recognize your guilt. So you got to acknowledge your sin. Uh, I can't repent of a sin that I don't admit. If I don't acknowledge it, then I can't really repent of it. So whenever I hear people say, well, you know, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, if someone tells, if someone's apologizing, they say, I'm sorry, but, you know, or they say, you know, well, you know, I, I apologize for what I said, but you, you know, it's like, no, you can't do that. You just want to acknowledge what you did. What did you do wrong? I'm sorry for this. Um, when I do marriage counseling, I make husbands say what you did wrong. I'm sorry for the other day. No, 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 bro. That's, you have to, it's going to have to be clearer than that. You're not going to be able to say, I'm sorry for what happened the other day. No, 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 no. I'm sorry for coming home the other day with a bad attitude the other day and using them words the other day, whatever those words were. You want to be specific. Acknowledge what you did wrong. The same is true when I walk with the Lord. I can't even begin to get right with God till I acknowledge my sin. I got to acknowledge. I got to admit it. And so God says here, first you acknowledge it. Then in verse seven, he says, then he shall confess the sin. So first I'm aware of my sin and I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing. Now, now when I confess my sin, Confession is agreeing with God about what I've done. When I confess to God and I say, God, I'm sorry I did this thing right here. It's a sin. It was wrong. Right? Confession is coming into agreement. God, I agree with you that what I've done was wrong. I admitted that I did it. Now I'm confessing and I'm agreeing with God that what I did was wrong. And so in, in your life, because we all hear sin. Everybody hears sins? Everybody sin? Yes? Raise your hand if you sin. Raise two hands if you sin a lot. Okay. We all sin. So we all need this. We, you're going to need this today. You're going to need it tomorrow. You need it the rest of your life until you get to heaven and get your new body. You're going to need this information. When you mess up, when you sin, the shortest route to getting right with God is to acknowledge what you've done is wrong and confess it. Come into agreement with God. When you confess your sins to God, let me tell you this. Since God knows everything anyway, right? Don't pray. Don't tell God, Lord, I'm sorry about everything I did yesterday anything I may have done, that's, that's, not, that's not confession. That's just, that's just random blanket babbling prayer. You need to be specific. You'll be amazed the effect it has on you when you be specific. God, I'm sorry that I told that lie. You convicted me, told me not to do it, and I did it anyway. I told that lie. I know it was wrong when I told that person that thing. God, forgive me for that. Lord, forgive me for saying what you did. Say it to God. Confess it. Agree with him that it's a sin. You'll be amazed at the impact that I have. You, don't want, you won't want to do it again. You'll think about that next time. So you acknowledge it, you confess it. Then it says in, in verse seven, he shall make restitution. You make it right. So you acknowledge your sin. 
you confess your sin and then you make restitution. You, you, you make it right. You make right. Uh, you, if you can make it right, you make it right. And so the same is true in dealing with people. Um, I need to be aware of what my sins are. I want to confess what they are. And if it's possible to make it right, I want to make it right. That's all we have time for today on A Transforming Word. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Numbers, and we pray that it's been eye-opening for you. In this book, you see how God dealt with sin and disobedience in the Israelite camp, but you also get a sense of how God delights in obedience and a soft heart. The people then were no different than people today. It's all human nature, plagued with the curse of sin, but God didn't leave their side, and He remains by your side today. So if you're ever in doubt about God's goodness, faithfulness, or steadfastness, be reminded that God cares about you, loves you, and is there for you. We hope you continue to learn more from the book of Numbers, and we encourage you to read ahead on your own. If you're interested in listening to additional teachings from Pastor Bill, you can find them on our website, at CalvaryInglewood.org. We'd be happy to meet you too. If you live in the Inglewood area or happen to be passing through, come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at CalvaryInglewood.org. You'll even find links to stream our services if you're unable to be with us in person. Then you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is CalvaryInglewood.org. Before you go, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience, and we pray you continue to look to Jesus. Thanks again for joining us, and be sure to catch our next edition of A Transforming Word.